Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Savini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. The season has reached a crossroads. The Jets are coming off a devastating 10-3 loss to New England. They're 6-4. They're still in the playoff race. But now we have a controversy swirling around quarterback Zach Wilson. And for the first time in his young career, his job security is not ironclad. There's a lot to unpack in this episode. First, let me mention our guest this week will be former Jets fullback Tony Richardson, a class guy and a true leader, and I'm curious to get his take on the Wilson situation and what might be going on in the Jets' locker room right now. Here's the headline. Here's the nuts and bolts. On Monday, Robert Sala, non-committal on his quarterback this week, opening the door for a quarterback change. I suspect he will make that decision public on Wednesday. Do I think he would really yank Zach Wilson? Based on conversations I've had with people, yeah, I do think there's a legitimate chance that the Jets change quarterbacks. So this is a fascinating, fascinating development. And let's talk about it. You know, he already made big news on Monday by basically not committing to Wilson, who was the second pick in the 21 draft. So that in itself is big news. I think it was the right move on Monday. Absolutely. Two reasons. One, and this is kind of obvious, but it reinforces the belief that this is a win-now team. They believe they have a championship-caliber defense. Like I said, they're 6-4. and four. They're still in this thing. No one's running away with the AFC. Maybe Kansas City, but after that, it's pretty wide open. And so this is, you know, this is a pretty big deal here on Wednesday. The first time since Wilson is drafted that the Jets publicly are showing that he's not priority number one. It's always been about Zach's development, Zach's development. Well, not anymore. The kid gloves are off, and there's been a shift in that. And number two, I think it's more than the win now thing. You know, it's more than saying, you know, the season matters and we got to try to get W's. This tells me that Salah is worried about the locker room which is to say he's worried about a locker room split. And uh, I I think that is real. Uh, It's his way of telling the team that Zach Wilson is not above you guys. He's just like another player. We're holding everybody accountable that he needs to play better and act like a leader. The head coach's job is to take the pulse of the team. And I think Robert Sala is doing that right now. And by letting Wilson twist in the wind for a couple of days here, I think he's telling the rest of his locker room, guys, I got your back. This guy is not above you, and he'll go through everything that you guys would have to go through if you had a bad game. So I can tell you this. There's a lot of raw feelings in that locker room. You could 
feel it on Sunday night in Foxborough after that devastating loss on the punt return. This is a fact. I know for a fact that there are guys on defense who are upset with Zach Wilson's postgame comments. Basically, if you missed it, he took no accountability for throwing for a career-low 77 yards. He was asked point blank, do you feel like you let the defense down? And he just kind of shrugged and said, no, no. And believe me, players got wind of that. Maybe not immediately in the locker room when we were talking to him, but every player you can bet was on their phone on the team bus back to the airport, on the airport, the flight back to back to New Jersey. They were well aware of it, and it did not sit well. On Monday, one player, I won't say who, said he thinks, and I'm, I'm assuming he's saying this jokingly, he thinks that the entire defense wants to kill Wilson. And so that gives you a little snapshot of what the feelings are right about their quarterback. Now, of course, they're they're upset that he didn't play well, but it's more than that. When you're the quarterback, when you're the leader, you have to take the accountability. You have to take the bullets. And so uh, it's not the first time, which makes it so concerning. Remember the first New England game when he threw three picks after the game when he was asked the question, do you shoulder this loss? And he said, shrugging his shoulders, no. Almost like, how dare you ask me that? And so it's not the first time. And if he's done it twice publicly, you know that behind the scenes it's happening a lot in meeting rooms and within teammates. And so Robert Sala's got a situation on his hands. And I told you this three weeks ago in the podcast episode after the New England game that Sala's going to have a decision at some point. Quarterback or the season? Which one is he going to pick? That's the way I phrased it three weeks ago. And here we are. I didn't think it would happen this quickly, but here we are. Essentially, he's got to pick his quarterback or the season. Uh, So, yeah. um, Now, I was told on Monday also that Wilson got called out in the team meeting. And that surprised some players. Now, when Robert Sala was asked a general question about it later Monday about calling out players, he says they always do it for positive and negative performances. But I think it was eye-opening to some players that Wilson got called out in the meeting in the manner in which he did. Again, Sala trying to show the team that Wilson must be held accountable. There's a lot of messaging that's going on here, and that's really what the head coach's job is to do. Uh, So anyway, this is a fascinating decision that he has to make. Uh, He has to let them know this spoiled child act is not going to fly. Now, Sala acknowledged on Monday that he didn't really uh, like Wilson's postgame presser. He obviously watched it. He probably studied it. I believe they've talked to him about it. I've covered a lot of quarterbacks over the years who have accepted responsibility for mistakes that they didn't even make. I mean, Mark Sanchez was really good about that. He always bore the brunt of the loss when he was throwing some interceptions. Even Sam Darnold was good with that. Of course, older guys like Josh McCown always accepted the responsibility. Even if the receiver ran the wrong route, the quarterback is supposed to say, that's on me, I have to be better. Zach Wilson has not shown the ability to do that. Now, will he get benched? Initially, after Salah's press conference on Monday, my gut was telling me no. I think this was his way of putting him on notice, letting him know the kid gloves are off. This is a great opportunity to rebound. They're playing the Bears on Sunday. 
The Bears might not have their quarterback, Justin Fields. He's got an injured left shoulder. He's going through tests. He day-to-day. More importantly, Chicago's defense is ranked 29th in scoring defense. So you would think on paper it's a good opportunity for Zach Wilson to go in and get things turned around. This could be a scared straight moment for Robert Sala saying to Wilson that, you know, you're now on warning. The old double secret probation, except it's not secret at this point because it's public. So that's what my gut initially thought, that it would be Wilson this Sunday with a short leash. And if he sputters again like he did against New England, then you go to Mike White. However, based on some subsequent reporting, it would not shock me at all if Zach Wilson gets pulled. Now, what would I do? I would not bench him this week. I would start him again, give him another chance, see how he responds. He did play well in the Buffalo game. Got to give him credit for that. I still think they have to find out what this player is. Do they, do they go forward with him next year? Is he their future? I think you got to find out those answers. This is a defining moment for Zach Wilson this week. This is a defining moment. This is a great opportunity to see what he's made of. You know, is he going to crumble under the pressure? Now, there was a lot of pressure after that first New England game. And to his credit, give him credit, he showed the mental toughness to come back and he played a solid game in upsetting the Bills. So... We'll see, man. And and I think back to a funny quote. It was actually laughable coming from Zach Wilson after the Denver game. You guys will recall that the Jets had a bunch of injuries in that game. They had some new guys in the huddle, and Zach Wilson was asked about that. He said he looked at those news guys in the huddle. And I won't say exactly what he said because I'll clean it up for our family audience, but he essentially looked at those guys and said, time to grow up, guys. I thought that was laughable coming from a 23-year-old quarterback who has obviously a lot of growing up to do himself. Be that as it may, he said that to the players in the huddle, and they won that game in spite of a, a highly mediocre performance by Wilson. But now I pose that same phrase to Zach Wilson. Time to grow up. This is you're essentially a pivotal a pivot point in your career this week. If you get the nod against Chicago, you go out, You perform well, you beat them, you show accountability after the game for whatever mistakes you might make, and then you move on. It's it's essentially like it's it's a pressure point for Zach Wilson. We're going to find out what he's made of if he gets to start. I would start him. It's too big of a decision affecting the entire franchise to bench the guy after the horrible game in New England. I want to see his toughness. I want to see his mental toughness. I want to see how his teammates react to him, how he reacts to his teammate. If he stinks it out in the first half against Chicago, then I make the change. But I'd give him one more shot. What will Robert Sala do? We're going to find out on Wednesday. It's a fascinating decision. It's the biggest decision he's had to make as a head coach. And, you know, it's not unprecedented. I remember in 1997, the Jets were in first place in the AFC East. They were 6-3, and three, and Bill Parcells benched Neil O'Donnell for Glenn Foley. Parcells said he just liked the way the team responded to Foley at quarterback. Now, we didn't get to see it play out for the rest of the year because Foley got hurt a couple of weeks later. So, I, I don't, it's a, we don't know. But... That was a pretty pretty ballsy decision by Parcells at the particular time, but he had a sense for how the team was playing, a pulse of the team, and he felt that team needed a change. Now, would it be White or Flacco? 
My gut tells me, wait, I don't want to see Joe Flacco anymore. We've had enough of him. He's a third-string quarterback. He played poorly in two of his three starts. He, you know, he pulled out the Cleveland game to his credit, but he was poor against Baltimore and Cincinnati. Bottom line is, if they bench Wilson, it's a bad reflection on the coaching staff. If they kick him aside, the, you know, their entire offensive staff's job is to make this guy into a star quarterback. And if they bench him, that's a bad reflection on them. It's also a bad reflection on Joe Douglas if they bench this guy. Now, Joe has done a fantastic job of replenishing this this roster with talent. But the biggest decision he's made so far is drafting Zach Wilson. And if they bench him, that's an indictment on the GM as well. So you can see this story has so many tentacles, and it's going to play out in what should be a very fascinating week. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply like to welcome in Tony Richardson. Jets fans know him. Of course, NFL fans know him. He played 16 years in the NFL. He made three Pro Bowls, long career with Kansas City, and played with the Jets from 08 to 10. 210 career catches, uh, 1,700 rushing yards, 24 touchdowns, a great blocker, and a great leader, especially on those Jet playoff teams. He also is heavily involved in the NFL's Legends community. He does a great job mentoring uh, young running backs from the combine into the NFL as they transition in, dealing with everything from just life skills and getting acclimated to a new area of living. He does tremendous work in the community with the Jets. And, of course, Tony, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, obviously, when we reconnected, I always told you I was a huge fan of yours. And, um, you know, we did some spaces together. And so it's always good to to get your point because you obviously have a lot more insight than sometimes as we do because you're there every single day. You see the practices. You get a chance to talk to the coaches. You can feel the energy. So I really appreciate the, the work that you do. And thanks for having me on this one. That's very, very kind of you to say. And I always appreciated them. For the fans who don't remember, like the 2010 Jets, they were a, a team with a lot of veteran personalities. And but the guy like the voice who always did the press conferences before the playoff games, like the night before the playoff game, there was one guy that Rex would bring out. And that was Tony Richardson. You know, he was like the voice of the team and a spokesman. And I I just think one of the true really one of the great leaders the Jets have had. And I wanted to ask you about that right now. Leadership is a big question around the Jets because of some comments uh, that Zach Wilson made after the New England loss and uh Tony, you've been in tons of locker rooms over your career. Uh, what are those players saying to themselves now after Zach made those comments? Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things because, you know, uh, shortly after, you know, all that went down and transpired, that's the biggest thing I started thinking about. Like, 
if I was in the locker room, you know, how would I handle that? Um, if that would have happened when, you know, in the 2010 or 29 season with Sanchez, how would we handle it? And that's a different, that's the thing, you, the point you made is like, it, it has to go to leadership. But then when you look around, you know, the, the league and the way the salary cap and everything is structured, they don't, we don't have those, those, those guys. There's no guys that are playing. You, know, you don't have the Alan Fanicas that's, you know, in year 15, you don't have the Damian Woody's two-time Super Bowl champ. You don't have all these, you don't have all these guys. You don't have the backup special teams player that, you know, maybe playing like 10 years backup linebacker and all this kind of stuff. So, but you know what? That's not a bad thing because the league is getting younger. Um, I think our product is, is, is better from the standpoint of you got so much influx of young talent and now your younger guys are having to really step up and which is totally fine. Like the comments, you know, that, uh, that Garrett Wilson made, I like that. You know what I mean? Here's a young guy, but yet still it hurts him. And if it doesn't hurt you when you lose, then something's wrong. You know what I mean? So when a player says something like that, you know, and it's not necessarily calling people out, but when you have a player that shows that type of emotion, you like that. And so for me, I, I sit back and I'm just like, man, you know, if I was in that locker room, kind of what would I do? I think the best thing I would do, I would, someone has to talk to this young man because, you know, during the summertime when all that stuff was transparent in his personal life, I saw so many players stick up for him and really go to bat for him. And so when you do that, that brings your locker room together. You know, guys can laugh about it, you joke about it, but this is our quarterback. And now, it's, okay, now it's time to get to work. So when that stuff, when this kind of stuff happens, like guys was just like, whoa, dude, we had your back. And then so that, so I think, yeah, it starts with leadership. I think the best thing is going to have to have to happen is it has to go to now it has to go to the head coach because I've been on teams where, you know, we've had an all-star defense and offense, you know, when we were in Kansas city, three yards in a cloud of dust, but we had, you know, we had Derek Thomas, we had Neil Smith, we had all these guys and we felt on an offensive standpoint. And I'd say all the time that we let our defense down and they would come to me and they're like, no, TH, you know, it's a team game. You know, we support each other, yada, yada. But if I ever would have got on the podium and say, oh, yeah, you know what? We No, we didn't let them down. They would have lit me up. And so it's going to have to come from the head coach because now it's out there and it's different. But obviously, you know, the, the New York media, and I was telling some of my buddies uh, actually from the Jets and the Giants last night, the Giants, you know, they took a bad one too. The best thing that happens to the Giants, they play on Thursday. The worst thing that happens to the Jets, they got to ride this out all the way till Sunday. And and the biggest thing now is Salah has to talk to the defense and tell them to continue to keep supporting his kid. But someone's going to have to go to him and say, you know what? The thing, number one thing you do, keep your TV turned off, turn your phone off. Don't look at all these plus clippings. This, this could ruin a young man. I mean, this is New York City. We're not in Kansas City. We're not in, you know, Mark and I say these markets aren't as big. This is New York City. And everywhere I've turned in the last 24 hours, he's the topic of conversation on every show. And, and it's going to have to take some veterans to really rally around him is definitely going to have to take the coaching staff as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the head coach. I mean, he made a pretty strong statement on Monday coming out and, and basically being non-committal, you know, yep. about whether Zach is going to start on Sunday. So that's the first time that Zach's been in New York that the Jets have shown some hesitation about uh, his status as the number one quarterback. And we don't know if he's going to start Sunday. My gut tells me he probably will. What do you, what do you think? How do you think it will play out this week? Yeah, I think he'll definitely start. I think he'll start, but understanding that, you know, this is a big weekend for us. I know it's a holiday weekend, but we have Revis, one of our defensive stars, you know, going into the ring of honor. So I know how this is going to play out. If, you know, first, if there's one incompletion, the first incompletion, Jeff fans are going to boo. I live in Long Island City. If I look out my window right now, I live right across the street from the firehouse. Those guys wear, bleed, sweat, jets every single day. 
and they're loyal. But in the same sense, if you burn somebody, if you burn one of us or burn one of our guys or burn our team, they, you know, they're going to jump ship. So I already know if he hasn't, you know, a few incompletions or something like that, the crowd's going to be born and it's taken away from the game. And then he's going to have a very, very short lease. And that's the, that's the nature of it. And, it's, you know, I don't think we're at a point right now where you give up on him. But he has to understand, like, you know, right now, and I'm, I'll say this, we have a champion. I think we have a championship caliber defense, like literally. And guys get hit. They get hot all the time. And you look at Cincinnati and people are like, well, you know, the Jets are young. I'm like, yeah, Cincinnati, they went from worst to first. So guess what? They were in the Super Bowl. So yeah. we have a championship caliber defense. And you just – and these guys know that. I mean, I've played in New England. Well, I don't even remember how many times. But the way those guys were playing on defense – that's probably one of the best defensive performances I've seen because I can you can say what you want about the quarterback or the teams. Those are the Patriots, and when they're at home, I've gotten steamrolled. Well, you've been there. I've gotten steamrolled yeah. in the court, and you've been there. So it's like for them guys to shut them down and, and hold them to three points. It's you know you got to win that ball game. Yeah, and early in your career, you played special teams. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, that game comes down to uh, a punt return. And uh, so you're watching that game, Tony, and you're seeing that ending. And I know you bleed green, you know, yeah. still. So what's it like watching that punt return for a touchdown by Marcus? Yeah, I was kind of telling you earlier, so I was, uh, real quick, I was, at the, I was at a watch party, a Jets watch party, um, you know, sponsoring the Jets and one of the Jets corporate sponsors. So I'm watching it with football fans, but definitely Jet fans. And I was like, and everyone, you know, they were kind of like, man, you know, this game. And I was like, listen, I said, right now, 3-3, going into overtime, you couldn't ask for a better script, especially where our defense is playing. So I'm thinking like, okay, the ball's going to go out of bounds. What, 13 seconds, you know, they'll whatever, and then we'll go into overtime. And when that ball went off, I was like, holy smokes. Just because I remember, you know, I was a personal protector on punt team, and sometimes I was the, the L, what, I guess the, the left guard. And the worst was like running down. And that ball is like, boom, like a lot of people say, oh, that's a great kick. But if you give that, because the thing about it as a punt returner, and obviously I was never talented enough, but I did block for Tamar Vanover and, uh, and uh, Dante Hall, who I talked to last night. Right. When you're running that direction and we're coming at you, you get, you see the whole field. We don't, we can't see that. We don't know. And also, I mean, we don't want to talk about the block in the back, but you don't, you, when you're running like that, when you get ready to turn and you can't really do it like you used to, Dude, we used to blow people up. So you're always kind of a little bit hesitant anyway, because when you turn, you might get waylaid. So you got to, but the punt returner can see the whole field. And when you kick 30 yards outside of your coverage in those kind of conditions, it's, it, I was like, oh my goodness. I can't. And I still thought, regardless, I'm like, when's the last time we seen a punt return? We didn't see one this year. That's the first one. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was good. It was, it was, it was a low kick straight down the middle of the field. Literally gave the two-way go, three-way go, basically. And um, it was disastrous, but I still didn't think they would score. Yeah, so you've been in, I mean, obviously a brutal ending for the Jets in a game. They went from a chance to be in first place to now technically in last place yeah. just on one play. It's amazing what can happen in the NFL. But so you've, over 16 years, you've, you've suffered some probably heartbreaking losses, of course. Yeah. What's it like when you first walk into that locker room after a game like that? I can tell you a classic example was I think it was either 95 or 97. We're playing in the playoffs, 13-3. Dale Carter, James Hasty at corner. Derek Thomas, Neil Smith, Dan Salamuro. Boom. We go, we're in the playoffs. We're playing against the Colts. We miss three field goals. We lose, I think, I think it was 10-7. Three field goals. And so I'm going to tell you what it was like in the locker room. Our kicker was uh, Lynn Elliott. They didn't even let Lynn Elliott come back in the locker room. They cut him on the field. I haven't seen Lynn Elliott since that game. So, and that's and that's that's unheard of. But it's one of the same things. Like we didn't score enough points. We missed three field goals. We ended up losing, you know, ten to seven. 
And it was the most, it felt like someone literally, and obviously that was for our opportunity to keep moving on in the playoffs. Right. And then it was cold as crap that, that day. So we're like, at least we get to the next round. It's this we're, we're going to the Super Bowl. And it literally, I was a young player then. And I remember that feeling. I was like, it literally feels like, like literally as a kid, like having a lollipop and someone snatches all your teeth out. But, it, uh, you know, but it felt like someone just ripped my heart out. And I had my family in town. I don't think I came out of my room for at least 24 hours. I was just like laying there and because you, you really know you're going to win. You feel like you're going to win. And then you have something catastrophic happen like that. It's yeah. like, it really hurts. And it's thin. If it doesn't hurt, you need to go do something else. Cause that's, you know, we play this game with emotions and we play it for our family and our fans. And if you don't, if you don't feel it, if it doesn't burn you inside, then you need to go do something else. Yeah. I remember watching that on TV, actually, that game. Um, I, I guess Lynn Elliott's in the witness protection program or something right now. He's like, I've actually looked him up and he sells, I think he's either in finance or insurance down in Dallas. And I feel bad. I mean, cause you, you know, I'll, and I tell all my buddies or friends that know I play sports, I'm thankful. I've never been on the end of something like that where, you know, you hear like, Oh, um, a miss kick in Buffalo, um, Norwood, right, right. Like you go every single day, your feet hit the ground. That has to be the first thing you, you think about. Like I'm friends with, um, the tight end from, uh, and I know you remember this from green Bay. Um, when the ball went over his head and they and he, he bossed it and he was supposed to go for it and he tries to catch it and they get it. Seattle goes to the Super Bowl and he's had some really, really tough days just right. thinking about that. The fans are ready to run him out. They did run him out of town. Yeah. And it's like, man, I, I would hate to be on the other end of that stick, you know, having to wake up every day thinking about that, that mishap that, you know, but you know, it all, it, it's probably 10 plays in that jet game that, that could have went either way. So you, you going to blame on the kicking quarterback because it's the most obvious, but there's a lot of other things that happen as well. Well, the last game you played in was the champion AFC championship game, right? Is the Jets yeah. in Pittsburgh. And of course that was a crushing ending because yeah. I, I think if that game were, were like a minute longer, I think you guys would have won that game. Yeah. Um, what was that like, Tony? I mean, coming in there after that uh, high of beating New England up in New England, yeah. which by the way, is still the last jet win in Foxborough yeah. to yeah. this day. And uh, what, what are your memories from uh, that, that night in Heinz field? Yeah, that's a tough one because I going into the game, you know, and I used, it's actually 17 years because I was on practice squad. So I got 17 years of my pension. Okay, 17. <laughs> but, I don't want to shortchange you that. Yeah, that I know, right? I'm saying I'll shortchange the pension. But going into that game, like I kind of figured, I'm like, okay, you know, and you think about it, as a veteran player, you know, is this going to be your last game ever? You know, just because you realize you're coming to the, to the end, we had drafted, you know, a young fullback. And so obviously Mike Tomlin was my uh, defensive coordinator when I was with, you know, with the Vikes. And so, you know, it was like, I thought it was going to be a storybook ending. Cause I'm like, we're going to Pittsburgh. We're going to win. Guess where the Super Bowl is in Dallas where I started. I'm like, dude, we're going to win a Super Bowl right off to the one at the sunset, like Jared Allen. Obviously that was before they with the horse. Yeah. But I was like, and it was, you know, it was like you said, the game was, it was so many different emotions and so many different things. And, so many different plays, but that was, that's by far, I mean, that was my last time ever putting on an NFL uniform. So that definitely wears, you know, pretty heavy on me. The thing I remember most, and I still hate this song to this day, is Wiz Khalifa performed Black and Yellow. Uh, that, that, that yellow mink coat on. And I was yeah. like, the Fetty was falling. I'm trying to go at least congratulate Mike Tomlin. And I felt like it just, it was a word. It's, I mean, I'm past it now. Obviously, you can see I can emotionally. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that was a heck of a Jets team. And I, I think yeah. there's some similarities between that team and this current team. Just yeah. a young quarterback, uh, very, very good defense. Can yeah. you, do you see the same similarities with, you know, of course, Mark Sanchez was in his second year that yeah. year, and Zach Wilson's in his second year. Do you see yeah. some? What are some of the comparisons you see? Yeah, I see the similarities, and I see the same trend of 
teams that are winning. Now, granted, you know, Dallas went out and blew the roof off, but teams that are winning and teams that win consistently, you have to play great defense because if you're, if you're not playing great defense and you, you know, you're just playing catch up ball and that's not going to work. But I do believe it's the same similarities. Like, you know, we had, which great receivers, obviously our receivers a little bit, you know, veteran receivers, but these guys here can play. I mean, we got talent, you know, you got three good tight ends. You got a great, a good offensive line that's obviously been shifting, but whatever, but that defense is going to keep you in every, you know, every game. And so the biggest thing is it doesn't change. If you run the football, play great defense and don't turn the ball over, you will be in every single football game, unless you're playing a juggernaut and all of a sudden it just goes off the rails like it did for the Cowboys. But really it doesn't, it doesn't come down to that, especially when the weather starts to change. You know, you're not throwing the ball over the park. You got to have to run the ball, play great defense. And so I see the same similarities. The difference is, is the leadership from the standpoint of, and I'm not meaning leadership, the lack thereof. It's just more so of having more season or mm-hmm. longer tooth <laughs> veteran player. And we, and we had them, you know, we had them across the board. So we had, you know, veterans on offense. We had veterans on defense. We had veterans on special teams. And so, you know, obviously the way it's structured, the salary cap and everything else, those, those, those days just don't exist because, you know, your quarterback or your, you know, one quarterback could eat up your entire salary cap. Obviously, ours does because he's still in his rookie deal. But it's definitely changed. So I think the biggest thing is just the leadership and Rex, you know, allowed the leaders to lead. And that's the biggest thing is like if there was, was a situation and you obviously were there when, you know, Rex had his, you know, his situation. It seemed like every week there was something. Yeah. But, you know, myself and a few other players, when that all came out, I, before Rex got in, I said, listen, guys, Rex has stood up for at least all of us in this room at one point in time. And I said, if this, if, if, if this goes any further, then we're going to shut this down quick. And we rallied behind Rex. You know, there was going to be some jokes. There was going to be some laughs and we shut the noise down. And when we had Rex's back like that, Rex allowed us to be leaders. And Rex was like, if there was a situation, Rex would come to the, the veteran leadership. And he was like, okay, guys, I need you to take care of this. And we took care of it. And I, yeah. you know, and I hope that, like I was saying when we first started, I think what Solid's going to have to do is Wednesday, go into that defensive meeting room, turn the lights on, lock the door, and just have a real talk with him and say, hey, guys, listen, we, um, you know, first of all, I just want to say congr- not congratulations because we haven't won anything, but just, hey, keep you kept, you guys keep busting your butt and just understand right now we have a young quarterback that we need to support and we need our leaders to step up. And it, 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 be, it could be Sauce. Sauce is the leader on that defense, even though he's in his first year. But these guys got to re- – if the defense doesn't rally around him, this thing is going to split in half. <laughs> Literally, you're going to be able to write an article in the middle and it's going to be a whole locker room split and a great season, potentially season, can go down the, go down the hill real quick. So um, I, the leaders really going to have to step up this week. Have you been on teams like that, Tony, where that happened? Um, I mean, mostly I mean, in Kansas City, you guys were winning a lot. So uh, Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Winning is like the best perfume, you would say. Yeah. And I really haven't. You know, it's funny. I look back and I'm like – and then, you know, I look back at my career and it's like, you know, the years in Kansas City, you know, we'd win. We were 13-3, best home field record, like all that kind of stuff. But it never splintered because we were winning. Now, granted, sometimes at the end where it was like, you know, we, Marty wanted to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. You know, it kind of – that kind of got old for the defense. But now I never really been on a team like that. Um, you know, you when I was – the 2011 Jets because that team yeah. – you know, that was the year after you left. That, that team split. Yeah, that yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for a myriad of reasons. So no, I never really been on a team where with a locker room split. And if we ever had, we've had. I mean, every team so as a family, every team has had ups and downs and things that happen. But we always come together and we rally. We take care of it because that's the thing that the the coaches can teach us X and O's. 
but your leadership keeps that locker room together. And we, you know, <laughs> Brandon Moore would be the, be the best. Like, if we had coaches come in the locker room, like they literally be yelling, telling the coaches to get out of our locker room. You know what I mean? Like just because they're like the coach is trying to go over a play or whatever, like get out of here. Because this was that was our safe haven. And it was just like, and that's the thing that, you know, that's the same thing we create with the Legends community is that sense of locker room. You know, I'm looking at a picture. I performed Tony Gonzalez's wedding. I performed Dustin Keller's wedding. When you have those bonds and relationships, you know, you might have a family member that's ill or whatever. And that locker room is where you feel most comfortable. And your guys are there for you every single day. And it's a safe haven. So if you lose that, that is just it fractures your entire team because I can't I can't go to battle with you if I don't know where your heart is and I don't know if I can trust you, then it's it, it creates that separation. But I believe the Jets have enough leadership or have good leadership, you know, from a CJ Mosley, like I said, a soft, like, you know, sometimes leaders are in different ways. Soft is obviously, I mean, this dude is an anomaly the way he's playing ball. Yeah. But also, you can, see, you can see the guys rally around him. They look up to him, even though he's a younger player. But I do believe, like, guys like that literally can, you know, just – even if they just got him, I'm sure there's – you know, I don't believe in all those players' only means. I think players' only means are sometimes the worst thing to do. But, you know, it might take just one player just standing up and just saying something or, you know, they got to show this kid some, some kind of confidence. I want to ask you, you mentioned the Legends community. One of the guys you got to know at the Combine and through the process was Brees Hall. And obviously he suffers that devastating injury, but man, he was off to such a great start. Uh, What do you mean? You've obviously met the young man and and what do you, what do you think of Brees just as a person and what kind of future does he have in the league? Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's funny because, you know, normally it's like me and work done. Uh, Sometimes it's been me and um, Max Strong uh, and Steven Jackson. So we all kind of rotate for the Combine. But you can always tell, like, there's just a guy who's at the company who's just different. But you can see it. Like, you know, one thing that we would do is, so we're mentors. And so we go to, like, the only thing we really don't go with them when they go do their medical exams. But we go sit, when they do the bench press, we go sit and do the 40, all the drill stuff. And we just want to be a resource there just to kind of support them. And Breach was just like, you just kind of, you know, I'm sure you've been around young players, well, you have been around young players. And you can just kind of see, like, there's something different. And he's so humble. He has a, a level of, well, he has a gear that we've obviously seen that a lot of guys don't have. And it's kind of crazy because you look back and I played with, you know, Larry Johnson. I played with, you know, Blair Thomas, who obviously came here to the Jets. And running backs, I mean, think about it. Running backs are going like second pick overall, third pick overall. Now you don't get one in the first round. Right. And we, we were saying all along, like, this kid, if a running back goes in the first round, he's going to be the first back taken. And he potentially could have been a top 10 pick if that's how it worked. Yeah. But yeah he's, a, he's a good kid. Um, really, really kind of like soft-spoken, but has that, we call it the dog mentality. He has that dog that's mentality of just, you know, but the thing about it, I blocked for Adrian Peterson, not after he had his surgery, but I really believe that this kid's going to come back stronger and he's going to come back and really turn his league around. Wow. That's, yeah. uh, I mean, that that's incredible. Yeah, he was, he was, I think he was going off to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And, Man. You know, and that day in Denver, you know, it's just it's a 100 percent injury rate in the NFL. And uh, unfortunately, his his number came up. Well, Tony, this was tremendous. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Love your insights. Jet fans, I know, have a a warm spot in their heart for you. uh, And you were the you can say you played on the last playoff team. And maybe that'll change this year. We'll (laughs) see. It's been 11 years. But but uh, Tony, thank you so much for the time. Bruce, thank you so much. Like I said, man, I really appreciate your work and, uh, you know, just keep, keep, uh, 
Because I know, you know, deep down inside, I know you, I know you, you, you bleed green. And I know sometimes people don't think so, but I'm like, but you're fair and honest. And that's the biggest thing I think all Jet fans and the players, you know, really respect because, you know, we live in New York City. We're not, we can't hide. And that's the thing this week, you know, some guys are going to have to face the music and, you know, really rally around the quarterback. And he's going to have to get up there because, I don't think his first media availability is till Wednesday, and he can't mess this up. You know what I mean? So it's a big one for him on Wednesday, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the biggest one in his life and his career for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's got to try to send a message there, a positive message. So, uh, yeah. well, thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. And it's Twitter time. Lots of questions, mostly about the quarterback, but not all. And we'll start off with an offensive line question from at Gavin Comedy. How much of a problem is the offensive line? This, the right side started Feeney and Obwehi. When will Mitchell be back? When will Fant return? And also asked about Corey Davis. Corey Davis, of course, a wide receiver, not an offensive lineman. And he's day-to-day. They are hopeful that he will play this week. Of course, we've heard that before. Mitchell will be practicing for the second week since uh, his IR window opened. I think there's a chance he could be active this week. The offensive line is a problem, uh, Gavin, because uh, the guys are just breaking down. I mean, we're talking backups here in a lot of situations. Feeney started at right guard for Herbig. Herbig basically had to bow out in those pregame warmups. He's playing with a painful shin injury, so... They're hopeful that he can play this week, but he's obviously playing hurt. Oh, boy, he's like, what, their fifth right tackle from this year? He's not great. Dan Feeney, he's not great at right guard. Uh, left tackle Dwayne Brown is is a gutty, gutty, tough player. He's playing with a torn rotator cuff. I think he's really hurting. And so the only two guys in their original positions are Tomlinson and McGovern. So you could see it, this offensive line, is really starting to break down, and they had no movement on the line of scrimmage against uh, New England. At Marty Levine, Zach Wilson's postgame character-revealing comments were more troubling to me than his on-field mistakes. Have you seen more evidence of character maturity issues? Was uh, Sunday just youthful frustration? Or does he not have the makeup to play quarterback in the NFL? Well, you know, there were rumblings at BYU. There was that whole captain, you know, issue there where he was not an originally voted a captain. I remember I got crucified for bringing that up into making that a narrative. But, you know, how's that look now, guys? How's that look now? Wilson is a captain, but I'm not quite sure how he got elected by the Jets as captain. You know, first New England game, he didn't shoulder the loss. Now, was it useful frustration on Sunday? Quite possibly. I mean, he's only 23 years old. He's been doing this for only, what, 20 or 21 starts? So, yeah, he's got a lot to learn. He's very young. He's immature. He's still developing. And uh, But, you know, it's funny. You know, we don't see the players all the time. You know, we see them in the locker room for 45 minutes a day. So Zach Wilson is – so I go on personal observation, and when he's in there, I don't see him yucking it up with teammates a lot. I don't see a – He's not in there a lot. Now, he could be in meetings or he could be working out on his own, so that doesn't mean he just doesn't want to be there. He could be avoiding the media, for all I know. That's quite possible. But I don't see a whole lot of camaraderie going on with him. But uh, I do give him credit for bouncing back from that first New England game. That showed a lot of mental tough ones, toughness. But this one is different because now his leadership is being attacked. And, uh, and the thing is, 
even if he starts showing accountability in these press conferences, it's going to come off as fake. So he's almost in a no-win situation. At uh, D. O'Don, oh God, two. It's Darren O'Donoghue, by the way. You famously suggested that we should have traded the two-pick and stuck with Sam Darnold. With hindsight, what would you redo? I'm struggling to figure out how much blame Douglas should have. He clearly improved the squad, but should we be concerned about him picking a new quarterback? Well, you know, look, I did say the Jets should have traded that number two pick, and I said that for two reasons. One, they could have got back an absolute haul, and two, I was not convinced that any other quarterback other than Trevor Lawrence was worth taking with the number two pick. There was the Sam Darnold component. I thought they could make something out of Sam Darnold with a new coaching staff. Obviously, I was wrong. I think I think Darnold might be a lost cause. But you can't say that that was a great pick right now for Joe Douglas because Zach Wilson is is struggling a lot. And Douglas should be held accountable if that pick doesn't work out. Absolutely. It's the biggest decision he's made, as I said earlier. So let's not get to the picking the new quarterback just yet. There's a lot of games to be played. But, yes, very concerning there. And there were there were concerns about Wilson coming into the draft. Anyway, next question from at Husky Fan INC SC. At Husky Fan INSC. Uh, good coaches don't make players succumb to their system. Good coaches see what players do well and put their positions to be successful. When will the Jet coaches allow Zach to play like the player they knew they had when they drafted him instead of making him fit? Like, what would you propose them to do? Have him run around and make off-platform schoolyard-type throws? Because really, that's what he was known for. You can't play football like that in the NFL. It has to be a structured offense, and this is a proven offensive system. The West Coast offense the Shanahan system, it's been around forever. It's not a fly-by-night system. It's a good system. Now, do they call it correctly every game? No, I have some issues with Michael LaFleur's play calling at times. But it's not a system thing. It's a quarterback thing. At Main Guide 1972, any chance they give Streveler a shot? Now, look, this is I, I put this question in there because, Brian, I respect the question. Streveler became almost a cult hero in the preseason. He's a he's a gutty guy. He can run around. He is not the answer. He's not even getting practice reps right now. He's a practice squad quarterback with minimal exposure to the offense who hasn't been getting practice reps. He is not the answer. I'll leave it at that. I like Streveler. I wish they had more guys with his heart, but he is not the answer. At Paul, PDM1. Question about the defensive line rotation. I know Vinnie Curry is a veteran and a leader, but wouldn't it make more sense to give him less reps and more to Jermaine Johnson and Bryce Huff? Okay, here's what they had in the last game against New England. Johnson had the most reps out of that group. He had 21, Curry had 17, and Huff had 12. I think Huff Huff's a pass-rushing specialist. He can't play the run. New England, they do, they do some power formations. You saw them playing a lot of double tight end. That's not Bryce Huff's deal. Bryce Huff's deal is put him on the edge and let him rush. So Curry, out of that group, is the best run defender. We have all these run stats. When Vinny Curry's on the field, the Jets only give up 2.8 yards per carry. When he's off the field, it's 4.2. That's the best differential among all the defensive linemen on the team. Jermaine Johnson and Bryce Huff have the worst differential, so that gives you a little insight into the uh, 
defensive line rotation. At Greg Romano, nine. What is Zach Wilson like in practice? Does he play loose and take shots? Is he successful? Well, Greg, you know, we don't watch practice. Reporters are not allowed to watch practice except for the first 30 minutes, which is essentially just calisthenics. But uh, I do hear what, you know, I do hear from time to time what goes on in practice, and I've heard that he's had some very poor practices this year, especially on Wednesdays. Uh, So uh, take that for what it's worth. At Lewis Keefe, three. Is Josh, is Zach Wilson the new Josh Rosen? And let me say this. It's funny you asked that question, Lewis. I was talking to someone in connected to the NFL this week, and that exact analogy was brought up to me. Now, for those of you who don't know, Josh Rosen, obviously a first-round pick in 2018, a player the Jets actually thought of taking. They took Darnold instead. Josh Rosen, known as a spoiled you know, guy, not a great leader, more of a me guy who has basically been a bust. So someone mentioned that comparison to me the other day. I don't want to go that far. I mean, that's a pretty harsh comparison right now for Zach Wilson. But he, Zach Wilson has put himself in a massive hole, not only by the way he's played, but by the way he's reacted to scrutiny. It's a big town, New York. You know, you need thick skin. Look at Eli Manning. Like I said earlier, even Mark Sanchez, when he played poorly, you know, he he stood up and he owned it. And uh, Zach Wilson's got to do that. Zach Wilson's got a lot of growing up to do. So this week, the Jets host the Bears. I think the Jets will win this game with whoever plays quarterback. It actually could be Mike White and Trevor Simeon. Right now, the Bears are saying Justin Fields is day-to-day. He's an outstanding runner. He's the best runner this side of Lamar Jackson. He would pose a very interesting challenge for the Jets' defense. The Jets did a really good job against Lamar Jackson in the first game. This would be a new challenge for their defense, but I I believe in the Jets' defense, and I think even if Wilson plays, they'd be able to contain him. I don't see him as much of a threat as in the passing game, but his running is just is just dynamic. But I, I I'm going to roll with the Jet defense here and say the Jets beat the Bears to go 7-4. and four. I'm going to say it's going to be 23-16 to 16 Jets in this game at home. It'll be a fascinating game. If Wilson starts and gets off to a slow start, the crowd will be chanting for Mike White. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I want to thank our guest this week, Tony Richardson, for joining us and sharing so much insight and some funny stories about his days with the Jets. Really good stuff from Tony, one of the all-time classy human beings the Jets have ever employed. And I want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, who's also some of those things for our company. And uh, we will talk to you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.